Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, January 10th. And Brendan, guess what? We have nothing. We are still in a lockout. Absolutely nothing, yes. Corey. Like, I, I feel like the last month or so is just like one purgatory-esque feeling i don't think this is ever going to end like even reading some of these reports as of the last week there's nothing inspiring yeah they they have you know they still have some time as we've kind of discussed but it is definitely disconcerting that it's sort of you just don't really hear anything and like the urgency just doesn't really seem to be there i don't know how we would pick that up as fans right but you know, you read the reports from some of the writers that like, no, they haven't talked. And, you know, maybe the owners are going to get an offer out in the next couple weeks to the players, but then they still have to go back and forth. And it's... But why aren't they even talking though? Like, that's the thing. It's like, like in my mind, one, one perspective is each side knows what they want and there's nothing to talk about until some urgency kicks into place. And the other side is this is just being like petty. Like if you don't know what each side wants, you got to be talking through this. This is insane, dude. Like a month from now, spring training is supposed to start with pitchers and catchers reporting. This is unbelievable. Yeah, I I think it's it's just one of those things. Everything you read sort of just suggests that this is one of those things where the urgency isn't there until it's there, right? Until you're at that kind of midnight hour and the choice is to either get something done or now you're losing revenue, you're missing games, all that other stuff. And that kind of pushes them to getting to the table and getting things done. And, you know, I think it's it's also one of those things where I, I think both sides know what the sticking points are. They know where they're willing to bend or break and they're not going to do it until they have to, right? Or until things get like really dicey. It's just, I, that's how it seems. It's just one of those things that until the absolute urgency is there, it's like this casual process. But yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I mean, with this and the COVID, uh, I don't want to call it lockout, whatever you want to call that period of time where they weren't playing in 2020, it's like, like you're kind like aren't you losing money right now indirectly like losing fan acquisition losing eyes losing people who are borderline interested in the sport there's nothing to even consume right now so like i i, I don't know it's i wouldn't guess that that number is too high but as we've discussed it's, it would yeah it's probably not it's, or th- this wouldn't be happening well and i mean just from like a chicago perspective like i don't think there's too much that would be going on right now however you would have figured that as the offseason continued, both the Cubs and White Sox would be involved in some of the free agency or trades. And, you know, both teams had made early moves, and I think they would have made some more 
the only way I can see that really mattering is, you know, now obviously you have the Bulls are having a really good season and maybe people uh, pay attention to that more and they dial into that more, but I don't, like, what would they really be getting into in terms of baseball anyway? Like, I don't, I don't think that's distracting. Well, you go to, you go to Cubs.com and you like see advertisements, you get money that way. Like you go to Cubs.com, yeah, you're, you're seeing nothing. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously it's not moving the needle. I see what you mean, but I, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's probably more of an effect on people like us who live and breathe with every free agency rumor and update of a guy throwing at the complex in Mesa and stuff like that, who are just missing out on that and kind of just disappointed, but I'm not sure that they're losing any fans unless, you know, you have a casual fan who's just kind of sick of all this, uh, business talk, right? Because as, as we've talked about before, this is a lot of negotiation talk in the last couple of years, which I'm assuming is not very attractive to a lot of people. I mean, it's just boring, though. Like you're losing opportunities to get fans. Like that's, that's the unquantifiable effect sure. of this entire process. And so I don't know in a few years what the consequences will be, but basketball good social media presence. The NFL has really picked up their presence over the last few years. Baseball has avatars of their players on their website in no <laughs> right. videos. So right. it doesn't line up. I I do think what you miss out on, now the MLB hadn't really dialed in on this or figured out how to really capitalize on this. But the one thing you do miss out on is, you know, the NBA like free agency frenzy in the off season is a real thing, even as someone who's not an NBA fan. Like I hear all about that. Like when, when yeah, we're, we're aware together. of it for sure. Yeah. And so you're missing out on, on that kind of, you know, that viral potential, that discussion potential that you would have in the off season where there's just, you know, kind of nothing going on. Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of had a little sneak peek of that before the soft lockout when Stroman was signed. If that can be somehow implemented in future years where you do have that type of urgency, where you create this frenzy, that was fun, dude. And like, even in the last three to four years, all these off seasons have sucked having the Harpers and all those high-end free agents go into February without signing or late January without signing. That's not good for the sport either. It's like another off-season. This one coming off of a COVID-shortened season not too long ago when we had 100 fewer baseball games. This sucks, man. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 an, it's annoying. It is, I mean, I'm venting a little bit. I see the logic business-wise, I guess, and I'm not qualified to to judge that but i just like there's nothing at all that you can consume for, about major league baseball how is that good for your sport right. and and how much money will you be losing in a 5 year window as a result i don't know i think i think it might i think they might be underestimating it well and it's also weird because i assume a lot of you if you're you know like if you've ever visited cubs.com or bought tickets or anything like that you get the emails like you know i got an email the other day about spring training tickets. I'm sure you did, having gone to so many games yeah. in Arizona. And you're like getting that email going like, well, are you sure about that? Like, you know, yeah. I, I don't I, I don't usually go to spring training because I don't travel to Arizona, but like I wouldn't be super excited to buy those tickets because I would have tickets that I didn't know I would be able to use. Like, are, is the league going to yeah. be back by then? Like you're kind of Especially when you're— 
yeah, when you're trying to design travel plans, you can't do that right now. I said, I mean, it's a good example. We have within uh, my family a few friends and and you know cousins and whatnot who make it out to Mesa like every every March. And right now, you cannot plan that. And so, so for some people, those trips will just not happen. You will be losing money right now because people cannot make their plans and they're not going to spend more money on flights and all that stuff. They're going to be planning something else. And that's just a reality of the situation. So I don't know, Corey. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's frustrating. To update, I guess, where we are, um, looking at this article on ESPN.com from Jeff Passan, just sort of like answering some basic questions today. Um, did the two sides meet last week? Flat no, just N-O, period. <laughs> um, and he goes on to say that the the period of time between any core economic conversations is now approaching the 40-day mark. I, I think that's what you were kind of alluding to that really is hard for anyone. I mean, unless you're like super involved in labor negotiations or economics or, or things like that, like to a, a fan like you or I, like the initial reaction is like, why? Like what? That doesn't make any sense. Like what have they been doing for 40 days and where is the yeah. sense of urgency to just get this done? I'm sure there's a good answer to that. And I, I imagine it involves the millions and millions of dollars that are at stake here and just the different people you need to get to the table and stuff like that. But as a fan reading this, you're going, okay, like what were they doing for 40 days? Like just hanging out at home, like, you know, celebrating the holidays. Like, you know, could you guys deal with this or what? Well, that's why I was saying is like, well, maybe they already know what each side wants. So maybe it's just a matter of the players, they're saying this, the owners, they're saying this, there's nothing to talk about. And the only thing that's going to get them talking is everyone losing money it's kind of like a you know a war so to speak and the, i mean the more we we go through this process and the fact that they're not talking like we're probably going to lose spring training games dude like at the very least you're going to be losing pitchers and catchers reporting on time and we're entering mid mid january in the past Several Cubs players report in January. They're already in Mesa. It's they can't do that right now, so that's 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 going to be a big problem. At least for me personally, because I like spring training so much. But you're going to have spring training possibly delayed, and you're also going to be hurting your players. Like you, you, the owner, who is trying to make more money by having a competitive team could be indirectly costing some competitiveness out of your team because they can't use your resources that you bought in spring training. That's it's it's so it's so frustrating, dude. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second as it relates to someone like Mick Madrigal because there was a a good story about that that came out on Monday, but just continuing along with where we're at with all of this. This this paragraph from this ESPN article is like super disconcerting and it's and and the question uh is how much progress has been made 
And the answer is, quote, slightly less than very little. Every day that goes by without conversation, without movement, (laughs) is a waste. It's true that deadlines tend to spur movement, and the next deadline, the spring report date, is a soft one, seeing as both parties acknowledge that training camps can be pushed back. Still, a mad scramble negotiation is volatile, fraught with unknowns, liable to blow up spectacularly, and as heated as players are and entrenched as owners are about the current state of affairs, the lack of any substantive progress draws baseball closer to a worst-case scenario course than the alternative. I mean, Brendan, yeesh. (laughs) I I mean, how do you have confidence about that? Like, maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but that does feel kind of like where we are. And I think it goes back to the earlier point in the article of, like, when nothing's going on for 40 days, you do sort of start to look at the kind of more doom-style outcomes here. Did Passon write that? Oh, it says it's Passon and Jesse Rogers, so I'm giving credit to Jeff Passon. Ugh. So. Ugh. Jesse Rogers and Passon. Well, so here's the what? thing, Brendan. The other report I think we got on Monday and some predictions was from Bob Nightingale, who said he expects an, an offer to be exchanged from the owners. I think that's where we are. It's the owner's turn to, or the league's turn, right, to make an offer. So you can take your pick. Do you want to listen to Jesse Rogers or Bob Nightingale? It's, uh, you know, good luck with either of those choices. Uh, I mean, the fact that no one else is reporting anything, uh, this is— Jeff uh, Passan is th- th- on this the is article with Jesse okay. Rogers. So I think we have to Yeah, but I mean, that's, that negates it for me. That negates it yeah, for me. Yeah, Jeff is I'm the sorry. only, you know, useful person of the three. So I think we'll defer to that one. So that that's the I'm one surprised. that's a yeah. bit more negative. But I'm just saying— even in looking at that, the only other report is that maybe in the next couple weeks they're going to, you know, get back and exchange an offer. So either way, it's not particularly uh, bright. Going on in this ESPN article, they they note that, you know, maybe the one thing that is kind of the tipping point here is the competitive balance tax threshold and which side is, you know, willing to make concessions there and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we are. Um, and... I think, you know, at at least timing-wise, we're still in a place where if they were able to get to the table, even in the next couple weeks here, iron things out, even if it's contentious, you're still in a position to be on track for spring training and not really miss too much. Maybe you have to push back the report date a little bit, but that's not that big a deal. And you still have the time. But yeah, as, as we've kind of noted, the longer they don't talk and the closer you get to the season, you're really relying on them to find common ground and have maybe a more amicable negotiation process than I think a lot of us are expecting. So gotta get something going here soon, man, because this just, you know, reading this really doesn't sound very good. It's very grim. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know, man. It's like every every episode we talk about this. I start off being optimistic, thinking there's there's no way, no way they go. Well, I was right through. to say you were wrong for that. You know, you give me a lot of like like criticism for being pessimistic, which which I can be, but typically you're you're more pessimistic than I am. Like initially, Thank you. like I think like. I mean, that's a compliment, I guess. But like you you stay at a static level of pessimism. Like I start off a little bit optimistic, then I go way, way down, maybe further pessimistic than you. But like as we keep doing this, every episode, more pessimistic, more pessimistic. I can't, like I don't know where we're going we're gonna to be in like four weeks. I don't even know if I can be doing these podcasts in four weeks. I don't weeks. know what if, you if, would if, be if, optimistic about. I mean, they haven't even, they're not even speaking to each other. 
And I, I mean, I guess this is a good good way to transition. So there, there, there was a story from uh, Ken Rosenthal over at the Athletic on Monday, and you know, just using Nick Madrigal as an example, but kind of talking about like injured players and their rehab process and how it goes when you're not really allowed to do stuff with the team because that's how uh, a lockout works and you know just some of like the bullet points like he can't communicate directly with the Chicago Cubs it has to be like through he communicates with his trainers and the trainers communicate with the Cubs and it's 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 sort of this like you know, loose system, right? And you and I were kind of wondering how that might work with agents and stuff like that. It's it's kind of like um, it's 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 just how it works. But I'm reading this, and I texted this to you, Brendan. Like, this is so stupid. Like, this is one of those things that really stands out about a situation like this, where you're just like, this is so dumb. And it's like. I don't know if childish is the right word, but you just think about like it's it's a huge business. It's a global organization, Major League Baseball, millions, billions of dollars involved, all these teams across the country, TV rights, this, that, and the other. And like Nick Madrigal, he, he, he's going to get in trouble if he calls like Jed Hoyer. Like that's so lame and, and silly and like childish it's just like what are we doing here like what kind of like and again I I know how like business works and how a lockout works and all that other stuff but you just read something like this and you know this is really stupid like (laughs) there's a a line reading this you'd be like there's what 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 is this like what are we doing here there's a line man you're you're basically telling your players they cannot communicate with their doctors I, I mean that is a ridiculous 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 thing to implement for a negotiation tactic and it kind of it, it proves the player's point ironically um especially in the context of all like the minor league stuff over the past few years and payments but it just it's it goes and highlights this volatility and and, and this conflict between players and these owners and it's it's that that is the most disappointing thing man like like nick magical tore his hamstring a, a year ago like i like if that if that were me and i couldn't have like face-to-face interactions with with my doctor i'd go find a new doctor dude and if you're a cubs if you're like jed well, hoyer they have to do they that have would have their own i mean yeah but like that is such that is so concerning right especially for a serious injury as a torn hamstring after you traded away a pretty substantial valuable player to get Nick Madrigal this is I'm disgusted like that that's really what it is I'm I'm just like disgusted that you can't have your players work with with doctors with people who are employed to prevent these injuries to get these players healthy man that's a risk that is a health personal risk beyond just being able to to compete in a sport right yeah that, that's that's what i mean it's like this stuff is really important and it's you know it now you're getting into these like little bureaucratic like rules and stuff that they have to follow and it's just like this is very silly like uh, for to to be in this place for such a a valuable organization and all these players with their huge contracts and no 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 
don't call the, the Cubs doctor directly. You have to have your trainer communicate with them and they'll relay the message. Like, you know, it's like a game of telephone at a sleepover. Like, come on, what are we doing here? And I think Madrigal's a particularly unique example because he's new to the organization. And because he comes over in a trade when he's hurt, it's almost easy to forget. And I, I think I kind of do this sometimes. It's almost easy to forget he's like on the team because he hasn't really been too involved <laughs> with the organization. He's hurt when the season ends last year, so he doesn't spend any time, you know, as a Chicago Cub, like in that sense. And now you're in this offseason where he's not allowed to work out at their facilities. He's not allowed to have direct communication with them. And I think in a normal situation, we would have gotten social media content with Nick Madrigal to help fans get to know him better. He would probably be one of the people getting, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, in Mesa, early, working out. Like, it's it's just very strange to have the updates kind of coming this way and to sort of feel like he's not really a part of the organization yet because we as fans from the outside we really don't know anything about him and we haven't really gotten to spend any time with him in the sense of like being a fan and and it's you know from a player development perspective too like you've got to like figure out what you're doing and and how you're building this team and we're talking about are the Cubs going to get uh, a better defensive shortstop? Is there going to be a DH? All these like various issues that you really need to iron out, and they're not even allowed to directly talk to these guys, right? Like it's 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 yeah, it's it's very silly, and it also involves a lot of trust, right? <laughs> you you always have to trust your players in the off season to stick with their workouts, stick with their diets, what they're doing as far as training and stuff like that. Now you really have to trust them because you're not really allowed to be directly involved in it and and supervising it like madrigal seems like he's going through the correct process i was wondering you know, i mean i don't even think you know but like can minor leaguers go to mesa like if you're a minor leaguer can you work with the staff if so just demote everyone like demote every single cubs player and have them come to Mesa, like now in February, get beyond this. There's got to be a loophole here somewhere. Well, I think if there were a loophole like that, they would have figured it out. Well, maybe now. no one's talked about it. Maybe I'm the first one, Corey. Maybe I should put this uh, out you're there. You're the smartest man in the room. It's possible. Said, it's possible, yes. Corey. It's possible. Not yes. all the time, but every now and then, maybe. Yes. Um, right. I'm. I have nothing on that. Um, yeah. It's just. Uh, it's a very interesting. Very interesting spot. And as as we've kind of talked about, again, relating it back to Madrigal, like when we're talking about that timeline, that's going to make things so wildly interesting. And I would be very curious to know how this is going to affect a lot of teams' roster building and just planning for the season. Because when we're talking about that timeline, right, like if, if they end up maybe pushing the report date back, but they get things in kind of on time. Maybe they miss some spring training games. Let's go with that scenario, right? That doesn't leave someone like Jed Hoyer a lot of time to deal with the free agent market, deal with the trade market. Like you're kind of like going to have to do that on a dime. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, if you think about it. And I wonder if you go into a lockout, which started what, in in December, mid-December, early December, whenever that was, like, do you go into that with a certain plan, and as time dwindles down, like, d- 
does your plan change? Do players sign quicker? Maybe this benefits the Cubs. Maybe players sign shorter term prove it deals because they need to get to camp and they don't want to end up in a situation like Craig Kimbrell did when the Cubs got him in 2019 where he was sitting out until right. the middle of the season because the the offers were so weird and and then he was behind and he didn't perform very well like who knows right but th- this is a, a big question you're going to have to answer and I think bringing it back to Madrigal it, he's one of the guys that I think embodies this the most because he's coming off an injury and the Cubs are in a weird spot with what they're going to do with their middle infielder, if there is or is not a DH. What are they going to do with Nico? Like, what are you going to do with Madrigal, Frank Schwindel? And again, we're just sort of sitting here in mid-January, not only without answers, but without the ability to even get those answers. Yeah, I mean, like once Madrigal comes back and is able to work with the Cubs face-to-face, get you know a good evaluation... Like, I do wonder what Jed's confidence level will be in giving Madrigal a, a staple position in this in this lineup in terms of, like, slotting him in for 550-plus uh, plate appearances or 500-plus uh, plate appearances. Because it, it, it does seem like there's a possibility where that confidence is not that high. And maybe it would have been higher if you had these these uh, trainers and medical staff working with Madrigal throughout the offseason, but we don't we don't have that. So I'm wondering, once he does come back, to your point, maybe some guys do sign shorter-term deals to avoid that uh, Craig Kimbrell setback that we saw a few years ago. But, but likewise, I wonder if this indirectly hurts Madrigal with playing time because this front office does not want to take on the risk and they may go out and instead get another infielder that may get significant playing time. And what does that mm-hmm. mean for Nico? Does that mean Nico now because we have this new infielder will have to go to the outfield? Like there there are possibilities for this to I don't want to say negatively affect the current Cubs players, but I would, if I were a Cubs player, like I would be a little concerned that as a player, my playing time might be taken away by no fault of my own. Well, I also wonder if that works the opposite way though. Like, do you think that when you go into an off season with guys like Patrick Wisdom, with guys like Frank Schwindel, with outfielders like Ortega and Hermosillo, et cetera, if you plan to maybe have them in supplementary roles and make those upgrades, but because of this situation and maybe how close you end up to the season, you just say, eh, screw it. Let's see what these guys have, right? We don't have time to put together the team we wanted. Yeah, but that, things are but, too chaotic. Maybe yeah. you just, you know, maybe the, the Cubs front office just says, eh, screw it. Like, we're just going to stick with the status quo because things got messed up. I doubt that happens. Like I, like I, I see where you're coming from, but they, they still have so much money to spend. Like, I mean, they should be spending this money. They still have around fifty, sixty million before that rough luxury tax threshold. So I, I, I see your point, but I still expect the Cubs to spend. It's just a matter of whose playing time gets subtracted as a result. As if I'm Nico, I'm a little, I'm a little worried. Like you see some instability and projections and in the infield like i'd be worried that my playing time's being taken away and for nico like he's dude like nico's been screwed so much since coming up 
came up early because Javi went down in 2019. The very next year, COVID happened. He got very little playing time towards the end of that COVID season, unorthodox ramp-up period. And then last year, he had all those injuries, man. And so it's like, for him, he has, he has to prove it this year. I'm sure in his mind, he thinks he has to prove it. And now with all the another lockout, the inability to work in Mesa earlier on, this sucks for him. I feel for Nico. And it's, it's I don't know, it's unfair for the players. It's unfair for the fans. It's unfair for the health of the sports five years, 10 years from now. And this seems like to some degree, it was inevitable that this was going to happen. But this is this is trending towards, as you said, just being childish at this point. Yeah. So I I don't I don't think that um, you know that scenario that I threw out there is is how it goes. Honestly, I would hope that the alternative is is how it goes. That again, like some players get desperate, they just want to get things settled when a negotiation is eventually reached, and maybe that does benefit a team like the Cubs that's willing to convince guys here's you know a little extra annual value for the year come on over to chicago one two years and you know then we can when things are back to normal and you know we're not in such a rush you can go get your big contract somewhere else right i don't know but i'm just saying it it's it's just going to leave teams like the cubs who ideally had a, a pretty significant amount of roster building still to do with not that much time you know not that much runway to do that and i i don't know i don't know how that's going to affect things brendan but i guess that is one of those things that we will wait and see okay so all of that really uplifting and positive discussion about the mlb lockout aside um just something to take a look at, give us, you know, something to discuss at least for a moment here. Baseball Prospectus has their Cubs top 10 prospects for the moment. Thought we could get uh, your thoughts really quick on that, Brendan. Number one through 10, Brendan Davis, Owen Casey, Reggie Preciado, James Triantos, Kevin Alcantara, Pete Crow Armstrong, Jordan Wicks, Braylon Marquez, Alexander Canario, and Caleb Killian. So anything stand out to you from there? Obviously, we've uh, done our fair share of Brennan Davis praise, so I don't think, usually we don't need to update that. He's still great, going to be great. Uh, But anything about baseball prospectuses list in particular stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that Owen Casey's number two, Pretty high regards considering who else is on this list. And Owen Casey exceeded my expectations this year. He finished off the year in A-ball. So he was in um, you know, the Arizona Complex League and where he was going off in the Complex League. He hit 349. He walked at almost a 20% clip, hit six homers in 136 plate appearances. So that was really impressive. And then he goes up... Uh, to A ball and just in uh, 90 plate appearances, so not the smallest sample, but still small nonetheless. He walked again, almost at a 20% clip, this time at 18%. Uh, hit one home run in 90 plate appearances and hit 233. It is what it is. But you're seeing Owen Casey, who turned 19 years old last July, getting a lot of love, and he's one of those Darvish prospects. So the fact that Baseball Prospect has highlighted him over 
you know, Reggie Preciado and uh, Jordan Wicks and some more recent older guys coming up the list, like Caleb Killian, I, I think speaks volume to Casey's pro, uh, prospect status. It also definitely highlights that right now the Cubs, after Brendan Davis, you can like throw in, I feel, any of these names and it makes sense. Like even, Corey, even on this list, seeing Pete Crow Armstrong, the guy that we acquired from the Javi Baez deal, the the outfielder. If you go on Fangraphs, he's rated as the uh, Cubs' number twelve prospect. But on Baseball Prospectus' list, he's rated number what is this one, two, three, four, five, number six. So that that's also giving him more validity, giving maybe fans more validity of just the talent level. And so this is all to say is like next year, this is this is going to be a, a big deal, but. First and foremost for me after Brendan Davis, like I am most curious about Owen Casey. I think the fact that he was able to graduate from the Arizona Complex League as a 19-year-old and have success right away, to me that signals maybe he's more advanced. And if that's the case, he might fly through the system. I, I have seen, at least in the folks that I follow discussing pro, uh, prospects, I, I don't have a, a strong feeling on the, on the top 10 other than obviously Brendan is number one. But there is a lot of kind of differing opinion on where a lot of those guys shake out. I know, uh, you know, some people are, are a bit higher on someone like James Triantos and just the abilities that he's shown and the rise that he's had in such a short time. And, um, some not as high, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting list, and a lot of these guys are pretty young, and you know they're not going to immediately impact the 2022 Cubs or anything like that. But it is good to I think constantly keep an eye on these guys, their progress, and and where we're kind of ranking all of them because as you know, uh, as all of you guys know, obviously those trades were a pretty big deal. And the the fate of these prospects is is going to have a pretty significant effect on where this organization goes in the future. Even when you're yeah. looking at the Cubs doing these short term deals, the the timeline that they're on, the reason they're doing that is because they're expecting a lot of these prospects to hit and and be a big part of the organization. So um, when you're putting a, a lot of eggs in those basket, it's worthwhile to, I think, keep checking in on these guys. Brandon. Yeah, and one other name on that list, uh, I mentioned them, but Caleb Killian, really impressive Arizona Fall League performance. After that first outing, he gave up no runs. He struck out like 18 guys in around 14 innings, and he was working on multiple new pitches, man. So it sucks that we may not even get to see him with everyone at camp in February, and Killian may be a significant piece to this rotation. Maybe not right away, but he's depth nonetheless and has the potential to move his way up to be a staple in this rotation. So just, again, like the lockout just highlights the disappointments with not being able to see some of these guys progress in front of our eyes, and you don't know what the effects are when they're not able to be in front of these coaches. Um much. So I thought the Caleb Killian was encouraging that he's up there, but also just reminded me again, like, like, damn this lockout, like this sucks to, to have to see maybe some of these guys not progress at the pace they normally would have progressed if this lockout was not going on. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, uh, I, you know, that's kind of what we have from a current goings-on of things. I did want to ask you one random question okay. um, that was kind of going around Twitter earlier in the week. Uh, it, it sort of stemmed from the marquee Twitter account asking what everyone thought the loudest moment at Wrigley Field was. That's not what I want to ask you, Brendan. Okay. I wanted to ask you uh, what Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation asked as kind of a follow-up to that. Um, and his question was, not at Wrigley Field, but when you were at home, what what memory do you have of having the loudest reaction from sitting at home, so oh, not remember, when you were at yeah. the ballpark. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned mine before on this podcast, but mine was easy. I, it's just the earliest I remember being extremely angry, and my mom, probably the first time having having to have the reaction of like, "Dude, you like chill out, like <laughs> you know, like what are you doing right now?" And it was in 2005, I think, against uh, the Phillies. And the Cubs have the bases loaded. They're on the mound trying to close out a 1-1 run, run, win. One out, Latroy Hawkins gets a liner back to the mound. <laughs> Two outs, he goes for the double play by throwing the ball to first. He's never going to get the guy at first, but it hits, I think, Placido Polanco in the helmet, yeah. bounces into the crowd, which by rule allows two runs to score. So the Cubs lose the game on that. And I just remember being really really angry I would have only been 14 at the time but I was really really angry and even like reading the description of the play when I tweeted about it the other day I was getting angry all over again so I was curious what your answer to that would be especially because for a lot of uh 2016 you know I know you went to some of the games in LA but yeah. you were watching a lot of those games at home so I'm, I'm curious what your answer to be would be to that uh, you know, it's funny that the first thought that came to your mind was like a negative thoughts early in your childhood, which is, um, I can, it's interesting. I can, just saying. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying, uh, you know, I have similar early Cubs fandom experiences. Um, I'm going to go with a more happier note. Honestly, I think the, the loudest I've been was when Javi Baez, uh, had that base hit in game four in San Francisco um, to, to take the lead. I thought that the Hunter Strickland fastball on a two-strike count, I was more shocked about that than anything, and I was I was going crazy. Um, so that's a happy one. The sad one, I don't know which game it was, but like you, it's one of my earliest memories. But I, like, dude, I had such such pain from Antonio Alfonseca at a young age like he caused me so much trauma blowing these games and there was one instance I want to say it was like 2002 maybe um you know early 2000s um and they're in St. Louis and he gives up a walk up a walk-off home run and I just remember being like maybe like nine years old ten years old and when it happened just taking my pillow throwing it against my wall and it, it ended up hitting these blinds that completely shattered all the blinds and uh my parents were were not too thrilled uh but unfortunately for them that has not changed in 20 years i, I I'm, I'm not as angry as you are to certain cubs games i'm more i more so just get sad and stay silent but every now and then i'll get a little bit angry 
But for me, it's yeah, it's like the Alphonse Seca stuff at a young age. But on a happier note, Javi Baez game four in San Francisco. So, uh, like on YouTube, I won't send you the link because I'm not going to try to get you angry all over again. But I've got July twenty eighth, two thousand and two. Uh, this looks like ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. That's what it was, man. <laughs> the Cubs are up nine to seven in the bottom of the ninth with yeah. one out. Yeah. First and third. Is this and it? Edgar Renteria is this gets it? a walk off. Is it, dude? Oh, I knew. See, I knew it was like a, a night game as well. I didn't know it was Sunday so Night Baseball. So July of two thousand two. What are you like? Ten. I am two thousand two. I am nine years old. Right. I'm a nine-year-old kid having we a temper tantrum. have some mental problems, man. I know, man. Well, you can pinpoint that you remember that. that, but that you're also like, oh, yeah, that was the angriest I've ever been. <laughs> you're like nine years old. No, I mean, that's like the earliest, like, sad Cubs memory that I have. Like, 2000, right. what was that year again? 2002? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was like the year I actually watched, like, almost every game. Like, I, I think they were terrible that year. I think they lost 95 games that year. But that was the first year I was like really in tune to the Cubs, and I reacted mm-hmm. obviously very poorly to that. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Um, but that should explain. That should explain a lot about our psyches. You know, the fact that we can even recall this. I mean, it's just it's just, it's yeah. a little bizarre. Oh yeah. yeah, I I can remember a lot about them. I mean, there's some you know just gems of names on this uh, you know this scoring summary: Moises Alou, Fred McGriff, Sammy Sosa. Yeah, um, Corey Patterson in yeah, this what game. A, what a team, dude! Like I, I love Todd Fred Hundley too. with an RBI. Oh, I single hated to score. Todd Hundley. Corey Patterson and Delino DeShields in love, this one. Love DeShields. Kyle Farnsworth had a yeah, sacrifice fly. Bill Miller with a home run in this like game. Bill Miller as well. Yeah. So well, how so did that, how did I that did team wanna, suck? That was two thousand two. Uh yes. I mean I like that, those I are mean at like, the time of this game in July they were forty four and fifty nine. So still you have Fred McGriff, Moises Solu, Delano Shields was not that bad. Like was was Kerry Wood injured that year? I don't I don't know. That's that sounds like a typical Cubs year. We're going down a bad rabbit hole. I know we are. Yeah, I know we are. I don't know. We got to stop right now. Um. Well, I ju- I just wanted to say that I think the reason for me that w- the one thing that stands out was something where I was angry is I tend not, unless I'm at the game at Wrigley and the kind of like electricity of the crowd sort of helps me along, I tend not to react as crazily when good things happen because I can't, I don't like to get ahead of myself, right? My brain instantly kind of goes to like, okay, how many outs are left until they win the game? And... I was thinking about that. There's probably a lot of reasons that that is, but one thing that like came to mind and it sort of ties into that discussion, like one of the loudest moments in Wrigley Field history, one of the loudest things I've ever experienced was Kerry Woods Homer in 2003 in game seven against the Marlins. And I was thinking about how nuts I went and everybody went. And then obviously that game goes completely off the rails, right? So I think that's part of why I am that way now, where when good things happen, it's sort of like a business focus, like, okay, yeah, they're winning, but like still three outs, you know, like I'm not going to go crazy yet, right? Um, and I I think that's just kind of how like my brain is wired at this point. But when bad things happen, especially stupid things, right, it's just easier for me to start yelling at the TV and being angry. So I, th- I think... 
that's why those moments tend to to stick out more. Unless I'm in the stadium, I tend to be louder probably when bad things happen versus good things. What yeah. that says about me, I'll yeah, lose I mean, all you of can you. think I, about you know, that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I might be similar. I, I I don't instantly react positively when I'm at the games. I I'm looking like if something good happens, like I look at the umpire first. I'm like, all right, is this real? Like, can mm-hmm. I? Am I allowed to be excited? And right. if the umpire's not doing anything, then I'll get I'll, I'll get excited. But there's still like in the back of my mind thinking this this, this is not true. And so, like, even for a good example is the is a David Bodie walk off grand slam. I'm at that game. You're at that game, and as he hit it, you know, everyone's going nuts. I'm not reacting until I see that ball hit the grass in center field, like over the over the center field wall. I'm not reacting until I see that, and that's that's just how I am. I don't know why that is though. Um, they, maybe there's a few instances. You know what it is, Corey? This is this is why I react like that. Like there's been several times where Sammy Sosa did the hop and it was not a home run. So ever since then, I have to see that ball go over the fence, or I'm not going to react burned right too, away. Burned one too many times. Do way more than yeah. than one too many times. He did that. I love I love Sammy, but he was wrong quite often there towards the end of his <laughs> career. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I, again, I, it's just like, I remember watching the, cause you brought this up, like the comeback against the Giants in the 2016 NLDS game four, yeah. when, when Wilson and Javi got those hits to tie the game and put the Cubs ahead. I, mean, I was going nuts. I, see, now I'm the opposite. I think I, I remember this very vividly. I was watching that in my uh, friend's apartment downtown and just kind of like nodding, like, mm-hmm, okay, three outs, like, all right. Yep, because I I, I don't You're know. You're so I guess weird. Just, How are you not excited about that? I I was excited. It's it's I'm the I'm like the type of person at a at a concert, even bands I really like. Like I'm not I'm not always singing or dancing. No, I don't I'm, do I'm that just, either. I'm just absorbing. You I, know what I mean? I'm just I I'm just there. I'm having a wonderful time. But like but my, outwardly, okay. you don't see it. But my 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 process, my thinking process before they came back when they were down five to two, I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I'm thinking Johnny Cueto, game five. It's over. Right. The Cubs lost. They blew it. So the fact that they came back. But that's kind of why I'm not freaking out because I'm like, okay, now finish it, right? I'll freak out in 20 minutes when they finish it. Yeah, that's probably why I have problems. Maybe I should start thinking like that. But it's not always like that. Like I was, I, even in in kind of thinking of this question the other day, like I was thinking of of some moments um, watching them on TV, both of them, I guess, are uh, you know kind of like Aramis Ramirez moments. But thinking about his walk off against the Brewers, like in 07, yeah, um, that Grand Slam against the Phillies in oh, 08, yeah. that was great. Like those moments, I remember freaking out, like as they're happening. Do you like, remember the the, uh, the Grand Slam by Aramis in 2003? You know the NLCS one. Yeah. Yeah, like like for see that's that's a weird one for me because I feel like like I was excited when that happened and granted I was maybe like eleven years old whenever it was, but I don't remember reacting so positively to that. Like I was excited, but to me, if that were to happen, well they they lost that NLCS. Yes, that's that's probably why. But I don't know. Like some of the, some of Aramis's later home runs stand out way more than his earlier home runs for me. I don't know why. Well, you were younger, probably. Yeah, but I still remember a lot of good things when I was younger. Like I, I'm just still, I'm still like so intrigued by the fact we might have to get your parents on. Like, what? 
nine-year-old Brendan Miller just like furious about Antonio Alfonseca. Like, I was crying, dude. I threw the pillow I, like, and I was at, crying. I'm, just, I'm curious at what point both of our parents were like, okay, with these kids, you know, like, <laughs> what a, what have we gotten? What, what do we have on our hands here? Like, That was my first, like, what was the first year you watched most games? Do you remember like the exact season? Um, no, probably not. It was probably 2001, 2002, something okay. like that. I mean, for me, like I know vividly 2002, that was it. Like the second half of that year sucked in. I, I watched every game, dude. And ever since then, that was, that was it for me. Okay. Well, yeah. So yeah, I, I just thought that was an interesting question. Cause I think like, you know, the, the loudest at Wrigley, that, that discussion I think is a lot easier and it, it seemed a lot easier on social media the other day where you know you can kind of take your pick from a handful of moments but like what is your, what is yours Grand though Slam, like what is is, is I, it I mean Grand I've Slam? had the fortune of being at a couple of them and I I've always said that it's Montero's Grand Slam or Kerry Wood's home run so can um, you can you decipher which one was louder well no because Kerry Wood's home run I was 12 uh, and then bitterly miserable later that evening. So who knows what is true or not of my memories of that evening or any any point in that period. But those are two where I just remember like the the building being completely up for grabs. You're splitting hairs at a certain point. Like one of the loudest I remember being at a game was Javi's homer off of John Lackey in 2015 after Jason Hamill extends the inning yeah, with the base hit up the nuts. middle. Because, you know, they're coming from behind. That was the first run in the playoffs for that team. It's the Cardinals. It, it just, that was just such a crazy sequence of events. Like, I, that that was extremely loud. But, you know, I, I don't have, like, a decibel meter on me to to tell you. From, from my memory, anecdotally, though, it would be Montero or... Um, yeah. Kerry Wood in 03. So 2003, you're at game seven, they lose. Uh, like, how, like, what did you do with your life after? <laughs> like, 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 I didn't for, really sign up to be talking about this, but um, I'm, well, I mean, I think some time has passed. You can talk about have it. I to now. schedule an extra session of therapy. I know, this week. right? <laughs> um, so that game I got invited to by a friend, and so you're, that not, you're looked, now with your parents at this game. No, oh, the that's next a huge morning issue. That's a huge. The issue. next morning, um, we did our trip to Springfield as okay. as a as a school, like in junior high, and so I think I had to get up at I don't know maybe like four in the morning oh and get God, to the parking man. lot of uh, Aptekissic Junior High School in Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Why were you going to Springfield? It was like a class trip. They did it every year. Seventh grade, we did Springfield. Eighth grade, we did uh, Washington D.C. Oh, okay. What? Just like what? What you did? I don't. I, know. I would not have gone. I would have like, yeah, I would not have gone. Uh, yeah, and I like that bus ride. Um, you know, yeah, that bus ride is the reason that I don't really uh, <laughs> that I don't usually root for the White Sox to have good things happen to them. The bus wow, ride that like, morning. You just got like smack talked nonstop. Well, I mean, I was in junior high in a suburb of oh, Chicago, dude, so I'm not so, everybody I'm was so a sorry. Cubs fan. I'm so so that next morning was a little dicey. Let's just say on the bus. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I'm sorry. Yeah, for me, I didn't go to school for a week. Like, I just could not go. My mom allowed me to stay home. I just, I was sick. Couldn't do it. After after they lost, I have a weird memory. After they lost that game seven, I, I just, how old am I? I'm 11 years old. I was just like watching like Jimmy Neutron cartoons for like hours. Great show, yeah. A great show. And then after that, I don't remember anything. Just didn't go to school for a few days. I was so distraught. That's my, I, uh, I am history. very curious, uh, especially since I, I assume a lot of our listeners are older than us, uh, very curious as to how much of this this portion of the conversation some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, relate to these guys a lot, or how many of you are like, what is wrong with <laughs> what, what on earth? I mean, what would what would your guess be? I feel like most people would be I, I don't thinking. Know. I think most people think we're nuts. Honestly, I really, I really do. Uh, I think if you're tuning into this podcast, you got to be with us a little bit, right? I don't know. I honestly, before I met you, I thought I was really messed up. There were a lot of people the other day when I posted that um, Latroy Hawkins play that were like, "Oh man, I remember this. I remember yeah. watching this. I was at this game. I never, you know, I was so mad." blah 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 right like there were a lot of people that knew what i was talking about and this was like a random game from you know over a decade ago well that's encouraging because i I mean i I don't want to be like this so the fact that more people are like this make me feel better about my own self so i I like that i suppose yeah um that's (laughs) that's certainly one way to look at it Anyway, uh, the moral of the story, as usual, is thank goodness uh, they win that game oh in November God. of 2016, because <laughs> who knows where Brendan and I would be, and uh, a lot they, of you would we're be. We're not doing this podcast if, that, if they didn't win probably that game. Probably not. Seriously, yeah. we're not doing it. Yeah. We're probably both in jail or something like yeah. that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, but they did, and we're they our our mental series. health has given a, a bit of a respite, you know, because they did get it done, but... Uh, Always fun to reminisce on things like the 2002 Chicago Cubs. You know, guys, this this is why the lockout is so bad for the game. Because look at I what know. it's doing to some I of know. us. We are spiraling. Brendan and I are spiraling out of control. My cortisol levels are so high right now, Corey. We talk about the players suffering. What about me? What about you? This is not healthy for do you any want, of us. Do you want me to send you that Edgar Renteria highlight? Do you want to watch it? I do actually. Like I love, yeah, I, knew I you lo- would. <laughs> I know. I love. I love revisiting trauma. Send, send it to me. I knew you would. Yeah. <laughs> and they they have a shot of Alfonseca kind of like walking off the mound, oh, kind of like, well, oh, what yeah. happened? And I I oh, can yeah. already like envision the text message that you're gonna send me once you watch it. <laughs> At that point, the windows are already broken, man. Tears are coming out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and just to just to bring it full circle, because I was reminded of this, but. My, you know, one of my least favorite plays was that Latroy Hawkins play. But the last memory that I have of Latroy Hawkins was when he was pitching for the Rockies in 2015, and he gives up that go-ahead home yeah. run to yeah. Dexter Fowler, I know. which I know. full circle, kind of a low-key like one of those moments. I remember watching that, like, and going into the 2015 season, not really having like the highest of expectations, but you know, hoping that the team would you know, be on a path to being interesting and, and, and whatnot. And that was one of those moments early in the season where you were like, huh, like, okay, like taking note of this, like this, this is interesting. Like this team's got a bit of fight in them, right? Like this Dexter Fowler guys bringing something yeah. to the table, like, okay, like duly noted Cubs. Okay. I mean, I had the same, I had the same reaction. I was like, all right, you know, entering a new era, 2015 was like the, 
the bridge across to a different world. And of course, Fowler, new time cup, hitting off, hitting a home run off of Latroy Hawkins, who caused me so much pain for so right. many years. So it was like a right. transformation for me. Yeah. So we'll leave you with that. That's a positive note. Let's stop there before Brennan and I, I like figure out a way to uh, get this. All right, on to 2004 back. we go. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Yeah. No, we're never talking about that. <laughs> oh, no, we're not. <laughs> if the lockout keeps going, we can do that one. But that uh, that would be like an anthology of the podcast. You know, we are going to get to that at some point, though. So it's Yeah, just we're going to run out of, of stuff to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I know we are. So, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the. Dis- dissertation of the 2004 Chicago Cubs uh, and how it affected all of our mental health. Anyway, we're doing it already. See, I know. That's Stop why we have to end this podcast. Off. Sign off. We're yeah, done. we're gonna do it right now. Um, no, but we will check back with you guys next week per usual. You know, kind of the the same spot. We would love to get on here and break down the new CBA and the new rules or agreements or luxury tax, whatever they they happen to come to. So we are ready to do that whenever the sides meet and get those discussions underway. We will do so, but otherwise we will talk to you guys next week. And as always, go Cubs.